Cy Khan is on the line. Cy Khan just re-released an album of his called Been a Long Time, and I always will say yes to an opportunity to talk to Cy Khan. So, Cy, hi, how you doing? Michael, I am delighted to be back on the air with you. It's so interesting that we're doing this on Zoom, and I can see you because I will be just amazed if you are the first person to figure out how to broadcast video from a radio station. Yes, our crack engineers here at WLRN are working on that technology. But Cy, this album, been a long time. It's been 20 years since it was originally released. Why are you re-releasing it? You know, when it first came out, it didn't have the kind of promotional push behind it. I mean, the people who put it out made a great effort. My friend Carl Apter, who lives in Coral Gables was the one who really made it possible to bring it out. But the little record company, Sliced Bread, that he and Gene Shea started didn't really have the capacity to do the kind of you know, radio promotion, you know, Art Manius, my music manager, does my radio promotion. And so it just didn't get the kind of life that we all thought it should. And Carl called me maybe, I don't know, six months, a year ago, and said he was cleaning out the basement in his house in Philadelphia, getting ready to move full-time to Coral Gables. And he found a box with 1,200 copies of, not of the CD, but of the book, of the insert. You know, and that's actually the most expensive part of making a CD. So he, called me up and said, hey, would you like to have like 1,200 copies of the CD? I, I think it was like 75 cents each, you know, after the pressing plan got through. And I'm like, yeah, sure. And then I'm sitting here thinking, well, what am I going to do with 1,200 CDs when nobody's buying them? You know, people are using them for Frisbees. And and Art said, well, let's let's put it out again. And, and that's what we've done. And it's, um, I couldn't be happier. I, I hadn't listened to the album, yeah, probably since... It came back from the pressing plant. And I sat down and listened to it. I cannot imagine more gorgeous instrumental music and more beautiful harmony singing than the amazing group of musicians that gathered to make this record created. It's a who's who of Bluegrass Stars. It was produced by Dr. Banjo, Pete Wernick, Laurie Lewis and her band, Tom Rosam, Todd Phillips, Sally Van Meter joined us, and the late, great Charles Sautel, who, who was just in, in remission from the leukemia that took him away and was able to... We did it at his, at his studio just outside of Boulder, Colorado. It was called the Rancho de Ville studio, and outside, under the carport, he had parked two pink convertible Cadillacs DeVille. And uh, and so it, it's a who's who of bluegrass instruments. It was, it was, and it was thanks to Pete Wernick's generosity in, in gathering them. So I'm just absolutely delighted to have it see the light of day a second time. I wasn't familiar with you being a bluegrass musician. Did you consider yourself a bluegrass musician? Now, that's, that's a good question. I mean, I've always loved bluegrass. I've always played bluegrass, you know, in jams. And, and I've, I've written for bluegrass. I mean, it's, it's, 
I, I know the genre pretty well. I remember years ago, somebody was doing an interview at my house and they went through my LP collection. Remember LPs? And they're like, you got all these bluegrass albums. You got the Osborne Brothers. You got the Stanleys. You got, you know, Bill Monroe. What, what, what's a folky like you? And I'm like, yeah, you should listen to bluegrass. It's great music. And, it, and it's a wonderful working class music. And it's conservatism is deeply overrated. There is really some wonderful progressive music in, in bluegrass. So, in, But the answer is no, I didn't consider myself a bluegrass musician. But when I got out to Colorado, staying with Pete and Joan Wernick, and the songs that, that Pete and I chose together were bluegrass songs, or they were amenable to bluegrass. And Pete actually taught me and I'm not, I don't have a bluegrass voice. I don't have the traditional high lonesome sound. But Pete showed me how to reorganize a song so that you could sing it in a more bluegrass style. Bluegrass is fast. And Pete said, okay, we're going to look at the lyrics and we're going to like cut one third of the words because otherwise you wouldn't have time to breathe. So we went through every one of the songs, pared them down, and Music uh, knowing has always... you not been your priority in your career. You've been a, a lifetime union and civil rights organizer. And uh, that's another thing that you don't find much in bluegrass, uh, the political side. It, was, was this an unusual bluegrass album in that way? Actually, if you go back through the bluegrass canon... There's a lot of music that actually is very progressive. It's not what everyone plays. There's certainly more. There's a great deal more of Christian religion and gospel in bluegrass. There, and there are there are some conservative songs. Alice Gerard and Hazel but, Dickens. They were bluegrass singers. Laurie Lewis, very politically progressive, very active, a bluegrass singer. And the youngest generation that's coming up is really quite wonderful. So, and have you heard Neffish Mountain? Oh, sure, sure. I mean, that's that's progressive Jewish bluegrass in Hebrew yet. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful band. But even if you go way, way back, one of my favorite clips on YouTube is Ralph Stanley. You know, the Ralph Stanley endorsing Barack Obama for president in his first campaign. So, you know, it's, it's, it's complex, but, but if you look at the genre... Um, it actually is a quite a quite a balance. Being a progressive bluegrass artist and being Jewish, that's not the norm in bluegrass. Well, there there actually are a remarkable number of Jewish artists in bluegrass. Um, you know, it's you know uh, Ray Benson, you know the six foot eight, asleep at the wheel. Asleep at the wheel. Just came out as Jewish last year, so you know there's 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 there and you know Pete Wernick is Jewish and. I don't want to run the list, but, you know, and music is welcoming and open, and more so these days than ever. We've got some, like Mickey Guyton, great African-American country artist who's you know, really breaking through these days. And, and I, I just think it's a, a time when music is trying to open itself up. Amer Americana, which is an annual conference, is less a genre than really... You know, a marketing strategy, but a very good one. They just issued their annual report. 48% of the artists that showcased this year were artists of color. 
And this is a country music conference, so yeah, it's it's a good time, you know. Yeah, listen to more bluegrass; it'll do you good, Michael. Cy Khan is on the line, and we're celebrating the release of an old album. Actually, been a long time. Let's play a song from it. Uh, tell me about Tar Paper Shacks. Well, it's from you know I write musicals, so it's from a musical called Mother Jones in Heaven, and it's it's a, a woman married to a coal miner living in a coal camp and looking at the reality of her life and like so many people thinking this life is tough but maybe I'll get a reward in heaven she talks about her children going cold and hungry and behind the house the slag heap is burning that's where you dump the refuse from the coal and they do catch fire they burn forever you know like the fires of hell forevermore and in the end, she says, you know, in from the graveyard, the ghosts of miners walk with my husband to the mine, right? And, and there's a point when Mother talks about the hardships faced by the women and girls, the mothers and daughters of the coal camps, and how they live every day in fear, and how when they, you know, wave their husband off down the long road to the mine, you know, they're, they're, they, they, shiver with fear, you know, wondering, is this the day the whistle will go off, announcing a fire in the mine, announcing an explosion, and, you know, will I be a widow at 21, and so warden and haggard from birthing five children that no man will ever look at me. So that's, that's what this woman is doing. She's um, looking at the reality of her life and thinking, this is hard, and I hope when I get to heaven, she says that, you know, there are, there, are no, there are no more tar paper shacks in heaven. The Lord will be my landlord there, not the coal company. And a tar paper shack is, is a home? Yeah, a tar paper shack is, is a, a, it's a basic, wow, it's like boards kind of nailed to uprights, you know, to two-by-fours, and the only outside covering is tar paper, you know, thin very, very thin layer of cardboard impregnated with with tar and it doesn't keep it doesn't keep the wind out, it doesn't keep the rain out. And so I mean the other thing to say about this song is a lot of my songs go back to childhood memories. So my dad was the rabbi at Penn State in State College, Pennsylvania. And I, I hasten to add, yes, there was this coach Joe Paterno, but hey my dad was a working class kid, got to be a rabbi. He loved contact sports. And when he arrived in town, the team started winning. When he left town, 15 years later, it went to hell in a handbasket. And I am not saying that he ever rushed the Shabbos services, the Saturday morning services. I am just saying we were Shomer Shabbos, we were observant. And it was like a mile walk to the stadium. And we would go straight from the synagogue to the stadium, and we never missed a kickoff in all those years. So, but when we would go take the train to visit family in, in Boston and, and, this, and in Lowell, where my dad was from, um, just like Jack Kerouac and Bob Martin, great, great, great folks here, who's, who we're honoring next month, um, we would pass coal towns and we would pass these tar paper shacks, really just just a basic dwelling, with no, usually with no electricity, usually with no indoor plumbing. 
and these women in worn dresses, gaunt, you know, emaciated, standing next to these children, you know, all barefoot, you know, and I would say, Mom, what, what, what is this? What is this that she tried to explain? And that memory has stayed with me forever. So that's also in the song. Let's listen to Tar Paper Shacks. Here's Saikon. There's a tar paper shack down in the valley where I have lived these 30 years, but it will be my home no longer when I leave this veil of tears. There ain't no tar paper shacks in heaven, the Lord will be. are bright and clean in heaven there ain't no cold dust in the air my children they go cold and hungry my husband he is sick and tired Clean in heaven, there ain't no cold 
Tar Paper Shacks from Saikon's album, Been a Long Time, just re-released. Sai, I, I wanted to ask you, you mentioned those, saying those Tar Paper Shacks really had an influence on you, and, and you spent a lot of time as a union organizer and a civil rights organizer, and it, it seems like we need those now more than ever. Has, has that career taken a hit? Oh, no, I think there's far more organizers and activists out there than ever. They're, you know, in, 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 I mean, just look at Black Lives Matter. Just look at the Me Too movement. They, they've constituencies, but they're great organizers putting these together. We know their names. We know who started these things. And I, I think it's a time of extraordinary activism. But, you know, I was 21 when I went south to join the Southern Civil Rights Movement and worked with STIC, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, which was the militant young people's wing of the Southern Civil Rights Movement, which believed in living and working among the people. I, I lived in a funeral home in Forest City, Arkansas, which was named after the, conf the slave trader and Confederate cavalry leader, General Nathan Bedford Forrest, whose statues are being taken down every day. I hope he knows that, you know. It is always the young people are at the forefront, and they are wonderful. Well, how did so those I, statues get erected? All those generals that lost the war and those, those slave owners? How, how, did, how did we get they become heroes? It was something called the Lost South. The, the South never forgave the North for winning the war. And, of, you know, of course, the former slave owners helped create sharecropping and tenant farming and basically put the African-Americans who had been slaves and had technically been liberated, they put them back into bondage, they put them back into servitude, you know, as, and, and working in, in effect as indentured servants, as, you know, farming on the shares. And, and the South was unbelievably segregated. You know, I don't want to overdo the history, but after, immediately after the, the end of what people in the North call the Civil War, what the unreconstructed Southerners call the war between the states. And in Charleston, South Carolina, so help me God, to this day, there are people who call it the War of Northern Aggression. But, and then we had the period called Reconstruction, when in state after state and at the federal level, we had African-American elected officials who, who often were wonderfully progressive and instituted public education and were trying to build a different society, and in the Compromise of 1876, look it up, the, the federal government withdrew troops from the South, the white supremacists took over, and a, a serious reign of terror, of, of massacres, um, just went, and, and progress just stopped. And so th those were, that was called the Lost Cause, that was, and those were the people who put up the statues honoring the generals fought for the South. Most of them, by the way, trained at West Point in violating their oath to uphold the Constitution. You spent your career trying to right these wrongs. Did you come across any opposition? <laughs> Only every day. Yeah, I mean, I mean, let me let me say, I as an organizer, I have led a very privileged life. Look, the, the great John Lewis. The, the, who, who passed so recently um, and became, who was the head of the, of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, later a, an extraordinary member of Congress. Uh, he was like 
beaten like 76 times, thrown in jail again and again. It's a wonder he survived. You know, I was pretty lucky. So, you know, the, most of the opposition I ran into was verbal. And <laughs> one, one of my favorites is it, it, when I was working with the Textile Workers Union and you know, on something called a, a campaign to organize the J.P. Stevens Company, which is no longer with us. And because the company had behaved so badly, the National Labor Relations Board gave us the right to hang out in the break rooms inside the plant, right? So I would spend my day in there, you know, living on coffee and terrible tuna fish sandwiches. And there was always an anti-union committee, usually funded by the company. And one day the head of the anti-union committee came into the break room. This guy, he was, you know, the, the, the poem, under the spreading chestnut tree, the village smithy stands, the smith. A mighty man is he with arms like iron bands. This guy had arms like iron bands. He was about six feet. He's carrying about an eight-pound piece of machine metal. And I am irrepressible. So I, I don't remember his name, but let's just call him Ed. Say, Ed, is this the day you joined the union? And he said, I'll tell you what. I'll join your union if you will join my church. And I said, gosh, Ed. I sure wish I could do that, but I can't. I am Jewish. And his face darkened, and he said, You're one of those people who killed my Lord. I'm not going to repeat what I said on the air, but I relied on the old joke. Not me. I wasn't even there. And he just ah, walked out. I was in terror. I really was. But, you know, one, one of the challenges of working with everyday people, I don't say ordinary people, nobody's is that they're complicated, you know? And I've run into some pretty serious anti-Semitic <laughs> attitudes. And I'm like, well, let's talk about this. I've run to, you know, people use racist terms. The, the you know, the attitude of civility men towards women is appalling. Let's not even talk about transgender people and LGBTQ people. And one of the moral struggles is when do you confront and what do you say and what do you let go? because you're also accountable to an organization that's trying to educate people and bring them along. So it's a, a moral dilemma. And I will say, there are things I have let go in the hope that by establishing a relationship, I can help people come to a better place. But I don't want to say that's easy. Sai Khan is on the line. Well, let's play another song from Been a Long Time. And Dancing with the Johnson Boys, you, you mentioned in the notes, quote, as with so many men, did their fear of women lead them down the dark path to violence, end quote? Do you think this is behind the Muslim tradition that women wear the burqas because men are afraid of women? Well, I'm not going to comment on a society I don't know, although I will tell you that when I'm in an airport and there's a woman all in black and all you can see are her eyes through a slot, and in front of her is her husband in flip-flops and a Hawaiian print shirt, and swimming trunks, I, I, my blood boils. The, but this, this, this leads in a different direction, where I'd like to. So I am really deeply rooted in many musical traditions, in, in the blues, in, you know, in traditional African-American gospel, in white gospel, um, in Jewish music. I grew up in the synagogue. And, um, and I think, well, you know, one time someone said to me, you know, and I don't remember who it was, but they said, Sai, you know, 
if you'd only just forgotten about this social justice stuff and been a full-time musician, think how many more songs you might have written. And with usually I think of the answer two days later, but this time without thinking, I said, yeah, but what would they have been about? Because so many of these songs, they're true songs, or they're inspired by older songs. And if you look at my body of work, in so many of them, I've left the musical equivalent of a literary reference. So there's maybe four notes from a Doc Watson song. Maybe there's five lines from a traditional ballad. And, you know, I think, I mean, I hope, one of these days I would like to really go back through my body of work and see how many of those I could still find. Most people will not recognize them, either because they go by too fast or they don't know the tradition. But like, for example, I've done two bluegrass albums with the Looping Brothers, a German bluegrass band. For another interview, the story of how, given how many members of our family were murdered in the Holocaust, for me to, to go to Germany, which I refused to do for my first 50 years, and to record and tour with a German band, that is another story. Um, but there's a song of, about a, a, a Hmong fisherman in, in the Gulf of Mexico. It's called Gulf of Mexico. And, you know, the, the, the Hmong were also called the Montanejas, the, the, the mountain people. They were, you know, basically they were hired by the CIA to fight on our side in the Vietnamese War. And then after, after you know, after the end of the war, they were forced to flee. And many of them ended up as, as you know, working in the shrimp industry in the Gulf of Mexico. And at one point he says, it's midnight on the waters in my homeland far away. Well, most people will say, yeah, well, of course, it's, you know, this is the time change. Some people know that Midnight on the Waters is a classic fiddle tune. And they'll think, yeah, yeah, that's Psy. So, yeah, I mean, I think that that's, that's, that's that I think it's actually an obligation for those of us who or in any area of roots music to do what we can to perpetuate the tradition. It's a wondrous tradition. It helped make us who we are. And, you know, and I also, um, I, I could go for hours singing traditional songs. Sometimes I do. Uh, people say, why don't you do traditional songs in your concerts? I'm like, because nobody wants to hear me do them. <laughs> and I can't count on anybody else. I, it's one of my lies when people say, sigh, you know, they shout out from a concert. Side do blowing in the wind, you know. And I say, you know, Bobby and I have this agreement. I don't do his songs, and he doesn't do mine. It's dancing with the Johnson Boys. Is there some classical bluegrass in that song? Well, yes. There's a song called the Johnson Boys, and and the line is, the Johnson Boys so brave and hearty, they know how to court old maids, kiss them on the lips and call them honey. The sight of a pretty girl makes them afraid. But yeah, that's that's why I said, yeah, they, they're, they're, they're afraid of women. And, it, and I made up this murder ballad. I mean, I don't know. And, and the Walden girls, well, I made up a lot of it. You know, the, the, you know somebody, when somebody was interviewing me, he said, so Cy, you know, your years in Appalachia, it's because of your years in Appalachia that you know about the devil's moon and that when the devil's moon is full and round you can see the dead under the ground how wonderful that you know that folklore and i said no actually i made that up Cy Khan is on the line well Cy, let's listen to dancing with the johnson boys all of the road till you come to the bridge 
Down on the creek and up on the ridge Long about midnight hear the noise It's the ghosts of the Walden girls Dancing with the Johnson boys When the devil walks up Walden's creek The water boils around his feet Steam rises by the river bridge And flows like mist along the ridge Snow that falls at break of day Is devil's snow, the old folks say And melting by the heat of hell Well marked the spot a body fell Follow the road till you come to the bridge Down the creek and up on the ridge Long about midnight hear the noise It's the ghosts of the Walden girls Dancing with the Johnson boys That could raise the devil's moon Call that tune the devil's dream You could almost hear the tombstone scream When the devil's moon is full and round You can see the dead below the ground See the pile of broken bones It's hell among the chimney stones Follow the road till you come to the bridge Down the creek and up on the ridge Long about midnight hear the noise It's the ghosts of the Walden girls Dancing with the Johnson boys Dancing with the Johnson Boys, that's Cy Khan from an album that was just re-released. Been a long time. I want to get a, at least a couple more songs in. Just a Lie. Are you frustrated that people think America used to be great? Does Macy tell gimbals? <laughs> <laughs> well, of course. Of course. It's, it's, I mean, first, if, if, somebody, if, if, if there's a song you know, called, called Grandma on the album, 
you know, if if somebody who is 80 years old remembers their youth and thinks it was wonderful, I'm not going to tell them what it was like. That's that's their right, right? But but I do think it's a political move because because what it's really it's coded racism. There's there's another song. It's called "Daddy, Don't You Tell No Lies," right? And it's about you know the, the it starts out like strawberries big as baseballs, peaches as round as your arm, but then it then it comes down to you know everybody had religion. Everybody did their best. Everybody knew their places. You know, everyone was satisfied. That's the nostalgic white view of the old South, and I think of white people around the country. That's it. But yeah, so. I don't know that I'm frustrated by it. I think it's a political move that's exploited by the right wing, you know, because people resonate to it. But it's not really a longing for the good old days. I think most people, it's longing for the days when to be white was to be white, and when to be a guy meant you were in charge. I mean, there's you know there's something called Christian nationalism that's that's very dangerous and that, that wants to bring us country back to what they call biblical values, right? But, you know, I think it's an honest look back. It's, it's just, you know, not everything was bad, but to say the good old days were great, no, they weren't. Here's Sai Khan with Just a Lie. Those good old days were not so good to me Back on the farm in 1933 Depression took most everything we had Those good old days were mostly pretty bad Those good old days were really low and mean With cornmeal mush and sometimes streakaline Picking up coal along the railroad track Why would you want to have those hard times back? Tip your hat, wave goodbye, good old days is just a lie. Those good old days, they broke my family down, just like a plow in steep and rocky ground. Those hard times tore my family all apart. I still can feel that cold wind in my heart. Tip your hat, Give goodbye, the old days is just a lie. Now I don't say that everything was bad. There was some mighty good times that we had. But you can't spend the silver sun and moon And you can't eat a lonesome banjo too Tip your hat, wave goodbye Good old days is just a lie So tell me why you'd ever want to go Back to a time you didn't even know Those good old days were awful hard on me So let them go For God's sake leave them be Tip your hat Wave goodbye Good old days is just a lie Tip your hat Wave goodbye Good old days is just a lie 
Just a Lie from Saikon's album, Been a Long Time, just re-released on Sliced Bread Records, and Saikon is on the line. I want to play uh, another song from the album. I don't think people realize what an important part Ralph Rinsler played in the part of contemporary folk music. In the late 50s, Ralph Rinsler, who loved bluegrass as a college student, rediscovered Bill Monroe and helped resurrect his career. He even became Bill Monroe's manager. Did, did you know Ralph? You know, I actually never met Ralph. I knew him by reputation. He was in, a, in one of the early bluegrass bands up in New England uh, with Joe Val. I don't remember the other members of the band. Like, I think called the Charles River Boys. What, what you call urban bluegrass. Yes, well said. And I mean, I actually don't know what his background was, but he went to work for the Library of Congress. He created the Smithsonian the annual Smithsonian Festival on the Wall. He was a folklorist, a curator. I did know his spouse, Kate Brinsler, um, just really through more through political circles than musical circles. And after Ralph died, much too young, of HIV AIDS, and I, I don't know the cause, I don't I have no idea how he got it or what it was, but it was just a staggering loss. And, and she said, you know, I, I was visiting her, you know, probably a condolence visit, you know. And she said, you know, we're going to have a memorial for Ralph. And would you write a song for the memorial? And what do you say? I mean, that's, I've been asked to do things like that a couple of times. I find them hard to do because you want to do them right. It's an honor, but it's also a burden because you want to do something that the person... You're memorializing the person who we've lost. They would have said, thank you for that. You got it right. And you, and even more for the the living who love them, you want them to say, yeah, that's, that's the way I want to remember my loved one. We should remember those who made a difference. Where the song never ends, here is Saikon. You be the shape note, I'll be the singer. You be the cornfield, I'll be the home. You be the square dance, I'll be the caller. You be the fiddle, I'll be the bow. We will stand, we will stand on the old ground of sorrow. We will sing, we will sing in the circle of friends. We will rest, we will rest in the sweet arms of harmony. Deep in our hearts where the song never ends. You be the bluebird, I'll be the fence post. You I'll be the tune You be the circle I'll be the handshake You be the ocean I'll be the moon We will stand We will stand On the old ground of sorrow We will sing We will sing In the circle of friends, we will rest, we will rest, in the sweet arms of harmony, 
Deep in our hearts where the song never ends You be the oak log, I'll be the fire You be the candle, I'll be the flame You be the choir, I'll be the organ You be the memory, I'll speak your name We will stand, we will stand On the old ground of sorrow We will sing, we will sing In the circle of friends We will rest, we will rest In the sweet arms of harmony Deep in our hearts where the song never ends Sai Khan with Where the Song Never Ends. That's from Been a Long Time from the album just re-released. Sai, I want to thank you for taking time talking to us, but I, I want to, since I have you here, I'm going to ask you about one more song, uh, one of my all-time favorites. And you've written some great songs. I mean, you've written so many songs, but some real classic folk music. What you do with what you've got. The version I have is by Savon Miller. Do you know how many people covered this song? No, but a lot, a lot. Do you, why did you write what you do with what you got? <laughs> you know, it's only a vague memory. But it, there were some people that I was working with that I actually wasn't happy about. I, th I thought they were arrogant. I thought they were self-interested. And I didn't think that they were as caring about the people around them as I thought those because we were fighting for justice and I thought that there should be justice within as well as justice without and you know and at the same time you know I was I was working with people who you know were differently able to people who had very hard lives you know one of the things that, that you know it's been 55 years of organizing and 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 you run into a lot of people who have very hard lives you know and and it was the contrast between these two groups of people that, that really got to me. And, you know, and, and, and so many people who would say, you know, who had, had almost no privilege, who were, you know, who were poor, who were, you know, out of work, who were rambling, and they were courageous, and they stood up, and they took risks. And they made a real difference in their lives and in the lives of the people around them. Those are the people I love. Those are the reasons that I am so grateful to have been an organizer. I got to live and work with people who were heroic, who, 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 who would never, if who I said, you were heroic, they said, no, I wasn't. I just did what anybody would do. And in one sense, they did what anybody would do. And in another sense, they were rare in doing what they did. So yeah, that's that's what the song it's it's it is actually much more of a tribute. Um, it's much more of a tribute than a critique. Sai Khan, always great talking to you, and I hope I 
hear more music from you. Do you are you are you actively working? What are you doing now? <laughs> well, we just wrapped up a campaign in Alaska. I was working on it part time as a volunteer. Trying to stop what would what if built would have been the world's largest open pit gold and copper mine. It was called the Pebble Mine, and we were working to to protect an extraordinary part of Alaska called Bristol Bay, the richest remaining wild salmon fishery in the world, a controlled fishery, largely fished by indigenous Alaskans as well as others. And I'm sort of wondering what comes next, but you know. I'm writing songs, I'm working on my musicals, I'm writing books, and, and actually most gratifying for me, I'm spending a lot of time working with socially progressive musicians in their teens and 20s. Is, is, <laughs> what's the song, Jordan is a hard road to travel? Well, so is being a musician. And so I'm, you know, you know what, whatever credibility and access I have, I'm trying to share that with them. And that's my passion right now, it's that the generation that's in their teens and 20s, who are going to carry forward the music. And I, I love the music. But they're also going to carry forward the music that makes a difference. And if I, if I could just plug my free newsletter. So, you know, I have, I have Art Medias, my music manager, and, and just a great force in the music world. Um, Art, Art was the founding director of the International Bluegrass Music Association. Was, he played a major role at Merle Fest, the Roots Festival in North Carolina. He was the first executive director of the Folk Alliance. So yeah, a, life, a lifetime devoted to good music and good politics. Um, so he had a, an occasional newsletter. And of course, you know, of course the current issue is about, well actually the current issue will be about, it's not current yet, will be about, been a long time. But the last issue was about Mother Jones. And in 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 the music of other people that I'm working with, so it, it's I think it's actually pretty cool. It is very interesting, and it's absolutely free. All you need to go to is my website. It's easy to remember, Sicon.com, right? That's easy. You know, if you can remember my name, which might be an achievement, you can remember the website. And there's a little button, and you click, and it says sign me up, and it'll just show up in your inbox, almost like magic. Sycon, that's S-I-K-A-H-N dot com to sign up for Sy's newsletter. And Sy, it's always great talking to you, and thank you so much for taking time to talking to us. Michael, Michael, I love being on your show. We've been doing this forever. May we do it for the next hundred years. Amen to that. Here is one of the latest versions of a Sycon classic by Scottish singer-songwriter Siobhan Miller.
those who use their neighbors and those who use a cane between those in constant power and those in constant pain between those who run to evil and those